This is Pet Life Radio. Let's talk pets. Welcome to another exciting episode of Vet Candy's podcast in other news. A podcast to expand your idea of what is impacting the veterinary world, veterinarians, and all animal care professionals as humans. We are your co-hosts, Dr. Jen. And Dr. Jason Chatfield. If you are not yet a Vet Candy subscriber, why not? Please subscribe for free today at myvetcandy.com. And you can also reach us at Jen at myvetcandy.com. And Jason at myvetcandy.com. So our topic today is one of my favorite pathogens, leptospirosis. In other news, we have the world foremost expert in leptospirosis. And who would that be? That's right. The one, the only, the world famous, Dr. Jennifer Chatfield. Okay. Well, just so you guys oh, wait, know. Wait, am I getting a raise then if I'm a world-renowned expert? You have to take that up with higher management. I have no idea. But you absolutely deserve a raise just for the, what I'm about to tell everybody. Because they may not know. Not only, not only are you a fantastic podcast host, you're double-boarded in zoo medicine. And you have you've published about lepto. Is that correct? You published a few papers about lepto? I did. Yes. And you've worked for the Florida Department of Health. Uh, it's focusing on zoonotic and vector-borne diseases, which could include... Lepto! And listen... The best thing you do is you lecture all over the country to other veterinarians, healthcare professionals about zoonotic diseases with a focus on... Lepto? Yes, I think so. That's right. So there is nobody better that I can think of to talk to veterinarians and animal care professionals about this disease. So let's, let's just get right into it. Are you ready? You ready to answer I'm some ready. questions? I'm ready. All right. So tell us a little bit about, just a little bit about Lepto. I know I'm going to have to stop you because you're going to go into a whole spiel about it, but go ahead and give us a little bit about Lepto, what it is, what exactly it is, how it affects animals and all that kind of stuff. Okay, so Lepto is, besides being one of my very favorite pathogens, it is a bacteria and it's a bacteria that's found everywhere. Everywhere? Uh, wait, are you challenging me? Yes, I think it's, it's a challenge. Everywhere. I think it's a challenge Every, everywhere. You mean everywhere like in the United States or everywhere where there's water? Or do, you, do you literally mean everywhere, like everywhere on Earth? Yes. Everywhere okay. on Earth. Pick a place. Portales, New Mexico. Where they rarely see water or rain. Yes. Correct. There's no lepto there. Yes. Really? Yes. All right. If it's, Let me tell you, folks. I've been to Portales a little bit. I think you have, Dr. Jen. If it can be in Portales, if you can survive in Portales, you can survive anywhere. Yeah, which is interesting. So Lepto actually prefers warm, moist places. It's a bacteria, so that should yeah, shock no one in the candyverse that it does well in warm, moist areas. Um, but it's true. And it actually, if it got to pick its ideal paradise, it would be warm, slow-moving water. Huh. Yeah. And so I know that's shocking, right? Remember when we were growing up in Texas and, uh, you know, people have stock tanks? For yes. those of you... In the Candyverse who don't know what a stock tank is, it's a, a big, giant tank of water, which you might think is a small lake, but not if you're in Texas, it's a tank. And your stock, your livestock, drink from it, right? You put it out in the middle of the pasture where there's no water. You dig a hole, you fill it with water, your stock tank. And you don't swim in your stock tank. Well, some of us don't. But, right. <laughs> you know, if it's a hot day and the pool's crowded, it's all right. Don't drink yeah. the water. That's what Just we were told. What's wrong with water. you? Don't drink water. Okay. Keep so your mouth shut. 
That's right. Keep your mouth shut. So keeping your mouth shut, as I have learned, Jason, will save you from a lot of dangerous situations. This Not only true. zoonotic, but this is true. also <laughs> social. Um, okay, so back to lepto. So lepto does produce illness in both animals and humans. So it is a zoonotic disease. Wait, hold on. So, so yeah. Texas is both warm and hot and wet, right? In some places. And, yeah. and the dog tank is slow moving. And the cows and the dogs and the cats and all that stuff drink from it. Mm -hmm. I didn't hear anything about lepto when I was growing up. Is this like a new situation? Oh, no, no, no. So lepto's actually been around for quite a while. Uh, lepto was first identified in the 1800s, which is incredible to me. And in the early 1900s, they actually were able to visualize the spirochete. So it's a, a spiral-shaped bacteria. And I'm, I'm like, there's not even widespread electricity. People are moving around on horses. And yeah. They're identifying a spirochete in someone's urine. That's incredible to me. <laughs> Why I'm are they like, looking really? at someone's urine back then? Anyway, I would have been much more focused on inventing something like air conditioning. Right. Uh, no kidding. But lepto's old. So in the 1800s, you can find um, lepto being mentioned as a disease in humans. And wait a minute, wait a minute. We asked the Candyverse on a previous podcast episode to tell us. What caused wheelbarrows? Uh, very. That, that was that was a professional segue. You you're, yeah. you're very much a professional. Not yeah. only are you well versed in telepto, you're very much a professional podcaster. That's right. That's right. So uh, I try again with I need the race. So anyway, <laughs> yeah. So wheelbarrow disease, and the reason that they called it wheelbarrow disease in humans in the 1800s is because the most common presenting symptom was that the farmer during the harvest would be out in the fields working and he would become so ill, he would fall down in the field and have to be carried back to the farmhouse in dun, 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 a dun, dun. wheelbarrow. Oh, yes, I get it now. It took me a while. You had to lead me all the way to the water and I had to drink it, so good, good for you. So does that mean the farmer was drinking the stock tank? Was he went for a swim or something like that? Oh, no. And so the mystery will be solved when we return from this quick break. When it comes to vaccines, you have a choice. Keep it clean with Ultra Duramune. These highly purified half milliliter dose vaccines are designed to minimize the reactions associated with unwanted proteins and reduce discomfort. Keep the good, clean fun going with Ultra Duramune. Learn more at elanco.us. Let's Talk Pets on PetLifeRadio.com. Welcome back, everybody. On the other side of the break, Dr. Jin was about to tell us how the poor farmer contracted his lepto situation back in the 1800s. So go ahead. Tell us how he was able to catch lepto. So actually, it is a, a, the same way that you can contract lepto today. So the farmer was not alone in the field during the harvest times because every creature on the earth likes to eat. So Jason, imagine what was in the field with him. Lots of bad things. Varmints, varmint, rats, rats. Yes, so ah. rats, rats are the number one reservoir for lepto, and so that means that you should avoid drinking rat urine because leptospirosis is one of the things that you can become infected with. 
And so in the field with the hold farmer. On, hold on, hold on. Avoid drinking rat urine. Check. I just, I don't want to catch left though. I don't want to be wheeled off in a wheelbarrow. So I'm right. I'm taking notes on this. No more rat urine consumption. Next. See if yes. I can get through so, this. You know, if it's rocket science, I'm not going to be an expert in it. Right. So, uh, yeah. But that is how humans and animals contract lepto is by ingesting or coming into contact with contaminated food or water. And so the farmer would be in the field harvesting, come into contact with uh, rat urine contaminated corn or wheat or what have you. And maybe then he would wipe his mouth or put his dirty, grimy finger in his eyeball. I don't know. Yeah, or have uh, a bite he, of corn, even though yeah. it's gross because he's hungry. Yeah, he would be exposed. And yeah. the same thing happens today. So your dog um, who's walking along and like decides to cool off in a puddle, as many dogs do. Yeah, if that puddle has been recently visited by a rat or a raccoon or a possum or another dog or, a, you know, name it, then now they have just been um, exposed to lepto. Okay, so probably not rat urine, right, for, for our dogs. And my, I have a dog, and almost everybody in the Canyonverse probably has some sort of pet, and a lot of people have dogs. And they take them out, and they swim in the lakes and all this kind of stuff. So oh, yeah. And so, and I'll, we're probably skipping ahead here, but, but I'm just concerned or confused. Is lepto very rare, would you say? The actual lepto organism is everywhere. But is the mm. disease itself, as it affects dogs or humans, is it a, was it considered a rare disease, common disease? What do you oh. think? Is it, is it all yeah. over? Like, why don't I have lepto? I drink all kinds of stuff I shouldn't drink. Oh, and can, can we talk about my nephew, Neil? Well, if we must. <laughs> he, he, he is probably the epitome of what not to do with a, with a with, young child. He has done everything wrong. But go ahead, tell, tell some Neil, stories. Neil's immune system is robust, friends, because of his <laughs> constant low-level exposure. Or constant high-level exposure. I don't really know which, but it's definitely robust. Yes, so my uh, six-year-old nephew, Neil, loves to sample all water. It doesn't matter where it is. got to watch that guy because he will be sampling water. So, yeah, so at I, dog I don't think you adequately. I don't think you adequately described that enough. If there's a puddle on the tabletop, he will put his little face down there and slurp it up just to see yeah. what it tastes like. It's it's really good parenting. Anyway. Yeah, no, no, constant, constant high-level exposure. So back to lepto. So lepto is actually not rare. Lepto infection in pets is no longer rare. And in fact, lepto is classified as a re-emerging pathogen. So re-emerging means it was present in this geographical area, i.e., you know, the world. And we didn't see it for a while. It wasn't common, a common infection. But now it's re-emerging, especially in first world countries like the United States. It is re-emerging. And so the vaccine for prevention of lepto infection in dogs has actually been around for a while. I don't know, 15 or 20 years at least. And it's changed. It's not the same vaccine that first made the scene 20 years ago. The vaccine well, available it, today is, is different. Did it get worse? Like, why is it re-emerging? I think I have a reason, uh, but the vaccine's better, I'm assuming, yes? Oh, the vaccines that are available on the market today for almost any disease are galaxies better than what they were even 10 years ago. And lepto is an excellent case in point. So initially, when the lepto vaccines were developed, they had these big giant proteins in them because you feed the lepto when you're creating the vaccine, you feed it with cattle uh, protein, albumin. And that's a giant protein in the land of proteins. And so initially, those vaccines were not so pure. So they didn't really work to filter out that giant protein. So that when you vaccinated the dog, well, the dog system doesn't appreciate cattle protein being injected, hmm. right? Who does? Uh, 
Yeah. And so, gosh, it seemed like every dachshund or Westie or Chihuahua that you vaccinated, their face blew up like they'd been stunned by a bee. And so, so uh, a lot of veterinarians were really afraid of vaccinating for lepto uh, because of that. But now, man, the purity of the vaccines that are available for lepto on the market today is incredible. It's just incredible. And so, now they've so got not- the volume down. So if we're not talking about the product being a problem, it's it's got to be the ever famous word of compliance, correct? People just aren't. If, I I just curious as to why it's reemerging. Yeah. If it seems to be something that was so bad, we well, got a handle on it, didn't go away, and now it's coming back. It's got to be a compliance issue. Well, I think it's a combination. So so the other like, thing, like for, for example, for example, clients will yeah. say stuff like this, right? They'll say they'll come into the vet and they'll say, "My breeder says I shouldn't vaccinate for lepto." My breeder says. X, right? Right. I can't vaccinate this dog for lepto because she just gave birth and it's going to kill her and all kinds of bad stuff. Yeah. And then, and so, and so you've been in practice and I'm sure that you've had that, especially in the, the places you practice. That's got to be common. So is that part of the problem? Okay. So yeah. So it's a multifactorial problem because God bless the internet, right? Like everything you want to know is available on the interweb, hmm. including vet candies and other news podcasts, right? That's right. <laughs> What else is there? <laughs> That's right. If you can't find it there, you might as well just go somewhere else. That's right. I mean, if Alexa can't give it to you. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah. So people read a lot of things on the internet that may or may not be true. So just because you see it on the internet doesn't make it true. But because of the history of issues with the early lepto vaccines, mm. a lot of people are concerned, including veterinarians. So a right. breeder will, a lot of times people will come into me and they've just, they've just purchased this dog. And they may have purchased it from a rescue. They may have purchased it from a private shelter, purchased it from a breeder, what have you. And they'll say, hey, my breeder says, or the place, you know, the, the rescue I purchased my dog from says, I can't vaccinate this dog for lepto because it'll kill him or right. because they don't need it. They don't get lepto. Right. So there's two things at work there. The first one is that lepto used to be a disease that we associated with dogs that lived in rural areas. But now the signal meant or the characteristics of dogs that contract lepto has changed. And on the other side of this break, y'all hang in there. I'm gonna blow your mind. I'm gonna tell you the risk factors for contracting lepto when we come back. Show us your scary selfie to win incredible prizes. Vet Candy and Pet Life Radio are partnering up for a spooktastic contest. To enter, just take a scary selfie in your awesome Halloween costume and post on Instagram and tag at MyVetCandy. Hashtag scary selfie. Three lucky winners will take home a $100 Visa gift card. Visit myvetcandy.com slash scary for contest rules and regulations. <laughs> oh, sure. It's all fun and games until someone ends up in a cone. That's right. We are animals. Deal with it. Pet Life Radio. Let's talk pets. All right, everybody, welcome back. I know you couldn't wait to find out the signalment, the leading risk factors for for contracting lepto. Uh, Once again, take it away, Dr. Jen. Yeah, so research recently looked at signalment changes from like 1970 to the mid 2000s, like what we're in, I guess. So it was like 2012 or 2014. That's a large sample population, so should we say. And it turns out 
that dogs that are less than 15 pounds in body weight and unvaccinated are the ones most likely to present with exposure to lepto. And that's interesting because it used to be, we thought that it was dogs that were like 60 pounds or greater. So it's little dogs. And another study looked at types of land cover. And so what that means is, is it an urban area? Is it a suburban area? Is it a rural area? Is it a medium intensity urban area? And determined that urban dogs, dogs living in the city, city dogs are most likely to get lepto. So if we combine the results of those two studies, I know I'm blowing your mind right now, yes, aren't I? blew my mind. Now, city dogs, I, who right. would have known? They're, they're so, more high class. Come on. They, they can I be getting lepto. So it's let terrible. Me draw, let me draw a picture for you, right? Mm -hmm. Picture in your mind's eye, a little chihuahua or a little toy poodle who only touches the ground in a little square of soil surrounding the tree planted in front of their townhouse in Manhattan. That's like the what I would call the quintessential city dog, right? Those yeah, dogs, yeah. they're less than 15 pounds. They live in a, a high-intensity urban area, and they're likely to be unvaccinated these days. Those are the dogs most likely to get lepto. So yes, they don't part they don't participate in the low level the low <laughs> the content, I can't even say it it's so funny they they, yeah. they don't participate Neil, in the Neil's approach to, to yes they, they haven't talked to Neil yet yeah. yeah robust immune system development constant high level exposure right so but combine that with the problem is that the first vaccines produce such significant adverse effects that many veterinarians became afraid or concerned about vaccinating those dogs, the small breed dogs that lived in urban areas. And so because we now know that rodents are the number one reservoir, that's what those urban area dogs are most likely to come in contact with are rodent contaminated areas. Their owners are likely to walk through rodent contaminated areas, get dirt on their shoes, bring it into the apartment or the townhome or the home in the suburban area. And that's enough. And now we have, yeah, and now we have a dog who's licking their owner's shoes, because you know that's what dogs like to do, right? My dog does. And now we have a dog that's potentially exposed to the lepto. That dog needs to be vaccinated. That dog needs to be vaccinated. So not only is this awesome pathogen, as you like to call it, ubiquitous everywhere, lives everywhere, can live everywhere, it seems to be very, it's a very uh, robust and very strong and can live, and lots of transference can happen easily. You know, actually, lepto doesn't survive incredibly well in the environment, but the fact that it's found everywhere so you will find it. It's just that uh, I wouldn't call it tough. You know, I wouldn't call it a tough bacteria, but you will find it everywhere. And so and it can survive in colder water, but it really likes the warm water. So I wouldn't call it tough. So don't like do not say that Chaffield is saying it's tough, right? It's not. I said it was tough. I but thought it sounded tough. Apparently but, it's not It's just everywhere. But the reservoir is right. It's hard to get rid of rats. It's hard. And they're everywhere. And so because Leptospira ictohemorrhagiae, right, the uh, cerevar or, or the, um, the type of lepto, the strain of lepto that is most adapted to survive well in rats, because that's the other issue. You got like 250 different serogroups or serovars of lepto, and some of them have evolved to create a, a maintenance Host. They've created a relationship with specific creatures, specific reservoirs where they don't kill off that host very quickly. Ah. Yes. And so that that's sounds what, like a smart. How about we call it a smart bacteria? 
Yeah. So some right. of them have done that. And so, yeah. so you'll find that. So dogs actually have a type of lepto that has evolved to use a dog as a maintenance host. So what that means is that the dog can become infected with the lepto. The immune system doesn't get really angry. So they don't have a lot of signs that they're infected and they can shed that lepto in their urine for years, but only with that one kind of lepto. And that's Canicola. Now, if you look at your vaccines for lepto, you will find that Canicola is in all of them. Lepto Canicola, right? And so we don't see that very often in dogs. But when people ask about, am I going to create a a carrier state, a maintenance state if I treat this dog for lepto? Well, that's only possible really if the dog's infected with Canicola. Because eventually, if it's infected with something else, it's going to get sick. And not and usually sooner rather than later. Right. Okay. So icterohemorrhagiae is the type of lepto that is evolved with rodents, so that rodents are the reservoir. I don't know too many people that are treating rodents that uh, they're trying to get rid of for lepto. Do you? Not too many. No. No, they're not putting Let out like think, antibiotics. Uh, no, not, not happening. Antibiotics in the rat trap. No, yeah, no, no that's not no, happening. Not happening. All right. That's that's a lot of stuff on lepto. We got the transmission down. How about you give us really quick, because I don't want to get too much into this, the pathophysiology of, of the oh. disease. What, what am I going to see if my dog gets it? Yeah. Okay. So number one, well, let me go back to first. I mean, if you were through with the transmission, I mean, I know you can talk about this for six hours, okay. right? But we only have a little so, bit of time. Here. So, here, so here's what happens. It is related to the transmission. So, you know, all the diseases that I really love typically involve taking something disgusting and putting it in your mouth. So, Lepto is just like that. So I said you get something that is contaminated by the urine of something that's infected with lepto. So you get a rat who pees on something, you get a raccoon, you get a dog, you get a feral hog that is infected with lepto, they shed it in their urine. So it goes in the mouth of the dog and enters the bloodstream. So the bacteria hangs out in the bloodstream, but only for about seven to 10 days. And it's in the bloodstream because it's looking for its happy place. And its happy place in the dog is usually the kidneys. So after about seven to 10 days, it will settle into the kidneys and you will not find it in the blood. Really? You can can test that blood with PCR all you want. You'll never find it. And it's gone completely. It just goes all into the kidney. It's it's settled in the kidneys. And then it will begin shedding into the urine. And then it starts the cycle over again, right? So another creature becomes exposed to that urine. So... That brings us to a few things here, right? Like red flag number 625 about why you should not drink your dog's urine. Yes. Okay, right? Did you got all the way down to 625 about why yeah. you shouldn't drink. Okay, I'm yeah. just pointing that out. I got to like three and I was done. That's enough. I don't right. need to get, no. I don't need 600 reasons, but okay. Don't, don't I don't drink know. dog urine. And why you Maybe you got a special dog. I don't know. Why you should tell your children, Neil, don't drink the dog urine. We gave up on that a long time ago. We just watched him closer. But it is, but lepto, because it's a zoonotic disease, is one reason, especially if your dog has a urinary tract infection you're treating them for or a confirmed infection with lepto, you need to be careful. And and I don't mean you're going to drink it directly, but I mean you got to talk to clients, veterinarians, talk to your clients about why they shouldn't do that. Dogs get urine on their fur, right? Even those little urban dogs that are special. And so you just want to be very cognizant at that point in time. Now, after the dog is on antibiotics for about 48 to 72 hours, they're unlikely to be shedding lepto in their urine. So feel free. Yeah, at that point, you know, no, I never <laughs> would recommend drinking the dog urine, but I'm saying, you know, then you don't have to be as vigilant as you may otherwise for the lepto infection. So 
Anyway, you can see why this is a disease we want to prevent because it produces the same problem in humans. It'll produce kidney disease or urinary tract infection. And there's another form of lepto, a hepatic one or one that involves the liver, which is one reason that like in Japan in the 1800s, initially they called this jaundice fever or autumn jaundice when the harvest would come out because the people would get the icteric form or the hepatic or liver form. And that has a mortality rate of 40%. So wow. 40% of those cases die. Wow. That's not something you want to fool around with. So yeah, so, so lepto is something that's very serious. And this always brings me to the question of, so why, why are people not getting their dog vaccinated? And we come back to things like the old dogma that's on the internet that people are afraid of the vaccine. Well, okay, let's stop there. So there is, because there is a history of, of some adverse reactions. Oh. Well, can you shed some light on the actual adverse reaction rate? How many, like, is, it, yeah. is there a known, uh, is, is it a real thing or is it just one of those uh, fake no, news no. things that's just out there? Like people just think yeah. it's true, but it's not necessarily true. Is there a thing? Yeah, so, so initially, and, and for veterinarians out there who've ever seen a severe adverse reaction to any vaccination, let alone lepto, it's scary. And it'll keep, it, it'll think, make you think hard every time you're going to vaccinate a dog. And if a breeder has ever had a dog that, that had that adverse reaction, yeah, they're afraid. And then if they've ever heard the ghost stories about it, they're afraid. But again, these vaccines on the market today are not your grandfather or your father's or your older brother's vaccine. They're different. They're very pure. They're much safer. So for a lot of them, at least for some of them, the adverse reaction rate is as low as the same adverse reaction rate for the distemper vaccine. Wow. Yeah. And there's nobody withholding the distemper vaccine because of the fear of an adverse reaction. They're just not, right? Right. And so uh, they're really, really low. And I would encourage everyone to look at your vaccine that you're delivering and see what that adverse reaction rate is because they're going to have it. The other thing is that an adverse reaction that's reported for vaccines in the United States it doesn't just mean an anaphylactic response where the dog falls over or where the dog's head, you know, blows up the size of a basketball or they're vomiting and diarrhea, you know, 20 minutes later. It includes things like a small subcutaneous lump that goes away after one month. That's an adverse reaction. So I would encourage, yeah, I would encourage everyone talk to the uh, professional services veterinarian for your vaccine manufacturer. Talk to them about what are they seeing? They're going to tell you the truth. They're going to tell you the truth, okay? And in point of fact, look at the FDA, what's on the label, look what's on the insert, educate yourself so that you're comfortable with it. And if you're still afraid, some dogs just react to all vaccines, right? Right. If you're still afraid, you can pre-medicate that dog. Pre-medicate that dog so you head off the reaction. Give him a little Benadryl, give him a little Dex. Hey, I'm from Texas. <laughs> I, don't, I don't withhold the steroid, man. There are ways you can mitigate that while still providing protection from horrible diseases for this dog. But in actuality, most veterinarians, they, they, they have a, a right to be concerned because there is a history, but just know the facts that, that the vaccine has changed over the years and recently, mm -hmm. and now it's very pure. And the, re the reaction, the adverse reaction rate is no different than, than the other ones that you're giving, you know, anyways, well, it, just it be aware be. of that. It can be. Now, the adverse reaction rate for all vaccines on the market are a little different. So I encourage veterinarians to be informed and I, you know, I encourage clients, if you're concerned about this, hey, I don't want to dismiss that. I don't dismiss that if I'm your veterinarian. I'll give you the facts. I give you like, here's the facts about the vaccine that we're going to administer today. Because the antidote to fear is always information. It's always Ooh, information. I like that statement. That should be on yeah. a t-shirt. Right? Another, another one of Aunt Jen's tips, man. I for guess survival. so. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, anyway, now I don't think Neil is reading a package insert before he's testing the puddle water. No, you know, he's not. <laughs> that poor guy. That poor guy. So why um, he's he's, he's self vaccinated. He's fine. He never got left though. He's great. That's right. Never so, get it. Here's the other thing. So here's a friendly tip because this is vet candies and other news podcast. And because I know lepto is something that, that, that a lot of people have heard a lot of things about, we put together on myvetcandy.com slash lepto, some infographics. They are infographics that are appropriate for pet owners, infographics that are appropriate for veterinarians. Cause you know, in my world, those are one and the same. We do have different infographics available for everyone to see. They're free to download. They look really cute. I didn't do the cute part. That's why I could say that. Mm. I just did the facts part. But they're really cute. They're appropriate for your lobby, for client handouts. I really encourage, especially breeders, if you're listening and you breed a small breed, I want you to go check out those infographics because I want you to realize that dogs that are less than 15 pounds and unvaccinated are most likely, those are two massive risk factors these days for lepto infection. And I got to tell you, when you think of that and it's in a puddle, what dog breed, Jason, can you think of that may have more surface area in contact with a puddle than a dachshund? Zero. zero. I mean, <laughs> really? Come on, yeah. look at that dog, right? So uh, maybe a corgi, maybe. Maybe. But I really am passionate about this because it's a zoonotic disease and because those little dogs are the ones that can succumb to it. And it's, it's not cool. And they don't need to have that treatment. You know, I treated once a $25,000 husky. A what? $25,000 husky. You know why he was a $25,000 husky? Please, I'm going to guess you're going to tell us. He was two years old and he had a contracted lepto because he had not been vaccinated for it because a breeder had said when the folks purchased the dog... Don't vaccinate him for lepto because I'll invalidate your contract with me. And those clients insisted, and that dog got lepto, he had to go on dialysis wow. to survive. And so when he came to me, you know what the first thing they said was? He's got to be vaccinated for lepto. Got to vaccinate him. Got to vaccinate him because we're not paying that again. We're not making him go through that. Man, yeah. <laughs> right. For both of those, I mean, that's an expensive situation. I mean, yeah. So uh, the other thing I tell veterinarians is it is something that I encourage people. I don't argue with owners because it's their dog. Right. But I'm offering the information that I know and making my best recommendations for you to make the decision about your dog. And if you choose not to vaccinate for lepto, that's totally fine because of some other information you've received other than what I'm telling you. Great. But I make you sign in against medical advice form. That's how important I think this vaccine wow. is. Yep. Yeah, that will also, that, that's a really good idea. That would show the clients how important it is to them. It would increase yeah. the levity of the, the whole thing, right? Oh yeah. my gosh, she's going to make a sign that she really is serious about this. Maybe we should rethink the situation. So Because leptos everywhere, right? Yeah. I, you know, we know it likes moist areas, but they have outbreaks now. The last two years, there have been giant outbreaks of lepto in dogs in Arizona. Yeah, not moist if you don't, if you don't know that. It's not moist in Arizona. No, and... The same thing. It's not always rural. They have out have had outbreaks the last few years in New Jersey, Super New Jersey, cold. New Jersey, friends and urban. I mean, they do have rural areas, but it was urban areas that had the outbreaks. So, you know, there's no reason not to do it with vaccines being what they are today. So I encourage you, if you're still concerned, go to myvetcandy.com slash lepto and, and talk to your veterinarian about it. Understand it. You may still make the same decision, but at least it'll be an informed decision that you're making instead of one based on urban legends and the internet. 
Yeah, I think right. that though it does fall into that category of uh, of what you talked about. It's got a lot of history, and unfortunately, it does. Yeah, uh, it does. It's probably it's it's probably good for the bacteria that it's been known for so long because we have all kinds of misinformation from uh, back in the day. It still persists today, like a lot of different things. So, uh, okay, well, fantastic, all kinds of good information. I don't know if we have time to go through the really quick the diagnosis, clinical signs, and all that kind of stuff. But let's do it real quick. The okay. really important stuff is how to the treatment. What to recognize? The, the vaccine is probably yeah. one of the most important things to talk about because it's one of the most misunderstood. But if you wouldn't mind taking us through the other stuff really quick, that'd be great. Oh sure. So yeah. So that's the other thing that people are like. Well, okay. Now that I know it's a horrible disease, um, I'm going to get my dog vaccinated. But then what am I going to look for? And as a veterinarian, how am I going to know that this dog has it? Or what am I going to do? So what you're going to look for as an owner is the same things you're always doing. Like, does my dog look okay? Is some habit of theirs changed? Are they not eating? Do they look a little different? Are they urinating constantly? That sort of thing. And so a lot of times they could come in as a, like that 12-year-old chocolate lab veterinarians that you're seeing, 12-year-old chocolate lab that maybe we haven't been vaccinating for the last couple of years because they got so many for the first 10 years. Right. Doesn't work, doesn't work that way. <laughs> just and got so a bank of vaccines. Right. Your 12-year-old chocolate lab comes in and they're yellow. They haven't been eating. Their gums are yellow. They're jaundiced. I want veterinarians to start thinking of just add lepto to that that differential list because that could be a hepatic case of lepto. Right. Okay. And I want you to think of that eight month old little poodle because everyone was afraid of vaccinating that dog and they come in with an uncomplicated urinary tract infection. We see that all the time. Yep. And most of us aren't, you know, for that little dog, they're peeing all over the house. They're eight months old. A lot of times we're saying it's just a simple urinary tract infection. Yeah. We're not thinking I mean, lepto. No. Yeah. How could it get lepto? It's in the house all day. Yeah. Well, people are seeing, especially in the north. Jason, I was just with a great group of veterinarians, the Southeast Michigan Vet Med Association. Shout out. Shameless right? plug. No, they were great. They're a wonderful <laughs> group of veterinarians. I oh, they must have bought you dinner. Give me a break. No, no, no. No, actually, they, they didn't, but they're fabulous. What? And we were talking about lepto. Yep. And uh, one of those veterinarians raised their hand and said, we have seen at the specialty clinics there, I guess, we have seen 12-week-old puppies with lepto. 12-week-old right? puppies. Yep, 12-week-old puppies. And, that, I mean, that's what that's what they told me. So that eight-month-old little poodlet coming in, it could be lepto. Yeah, no problem. And so, and so, you know, am I doing the right thing if I'm just sending them home on antibiotics? Well, yeah, you are, because lepto is susceptible to most of our first-line empirical choices, right? An amoxicillin, a clavamox, so a penicillin, a fluorinated quinolone, but please don't use Bantrol as your first choice for an uncomplicated UTI. It's also susceptible to doxycycline, right? Cephalexin, all of that. So we're probably treating more lepto than we're finding. But right. if you do want to test, if you're going to test because you think you have a strong um, suspicion, there's ways you can do that. PCR, you can send out a PCR on urine or blood. But remember, it's only in the blood for about a week or 10 days. Yeah, maybe it's a waste of time with blood. Do you recommend that? Or do you, it's much easier to maybe do the urine? Get it on urine. You should send both. Oh. Always send both. The lab's going to tell you to send both. Call the lab and ask them, right? But right. send both. Um, doesn't hurt. Or you can do a snap test now. There's in-clinic in snap tests for lepto titers. You're looking for an antibody to it. But you need to make sure that your snap test is differentiating between IgM and IgG because you want to know if it's a vaccine produced sure. antibody or if it's because they're indeed infected. And so those are kind of the um, sticking points for folks, but vaccinate the dog. You know, 
it's twenty, thirty, forty dollars to prevent this disease, or twenty-five thousand dollars, like that husky had to pay because they had to go on dialysis because right. it was such a severe infection. Yeah. And it's yep. everywhere. You don't have to wait for an outbreak. People ask me, "Well, should I vaccinate? It's not in my area." And I'm like, "It is in your area. It is worldwide." Yeah, even so, if you live in Portales. Even if you're in the desert of Portales, New Mexico. Although we love Portales. I mean, I did. There was no lepto there. I was told. Apparently, that was wrong. I only went there because it was lepto free. Well, I was just lied to. Terrible. I loved it. Yeah. I loved it. And if you want more information about lepto, go to myvetcandy.com/lepto or talk to your professional services vet for your vaccine manufacturer. Um, you can get great information there. Look at the science, folks. Look at yeah, the or science. Just, or why don't we just give out your personal cell phone number and they just call you? That's that's kind of what I do, right? That's what you do, right? Yeah. Five five five. Yeah. Uh huh. Yeah. No, 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 no. But. MyVetCandy.com. If you have a question, you can always email us at Jen at MyVetCandy.com. Or Jason at MyVetCandy.com. Right. And we'll try to put you in touch with the right folks. Yeah. That's not all I have to say about Lepto, but that's probably all anyone wants to hear today about Lepto. Yeah. I know. Listen, you gave a lot of good information. Like I said, folks, there's probably nobody better that has more up-to-date you know, current information along with all of the history uh, with Lepto than Dr. Jen. So, so we are privileged to have her on. I'm privileged to have her as a sibling. I learned a lot, like I always do on our podcast. I learned a ton of information about Lepto, especially about Portalis being being not Lepto-free. It just blows my mind. <laughs> Excellent. All right, folks. So thanks for tuning in to our podcast on one of my favorite pathogens. And hopefully, uh, we'll see you on the next episode of In Other News. Let's Talk Pets, every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com.